Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev. And I'm Pancho. And it's been a, it's been a minute, Pancho. I'm so glad to have you back. We we took a pause for uh, in our series in First Kings, and I, and I did that end time series. And I, I hope you've enjoyed uh, those of you listening on the podcast. Some of you have been enjoying them. I I started uploading them to, to our YouTube channel as well. And so glad to have you here. And so, Pancho, today we're going to continue in First Kings. Correct. We're back. All right, we're back. <laughs> it's been a while. So, glad to be back. Yeah. One of the blessings of this new of this series with Pancho is is Pancho brings just a fresh perspective, and he brings brand new eyes that hasn't grown up with this so we're kind of looking at solomon and, and looking at, at like a character study and so i'm going to just shortly share the screen today we're going to be in chapter six and seven so if you pardon me for one second let me share the bible screen and okay let me bring this up a little bit all right so first kings chapter six in the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. The vestibule in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits long, equal to the width of the house, and 10 cubits deep in front of the house. And he made for the house windows with recessed frames. He also built a structure against the wall of the house, running around the wall of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary. I got to tell you, Pancho, if there are any general contractors listening to this or anybody who's done any remodeling, they're, they're probably going, wow, look at this. I know exactly what he's talking about. Well, I don't. And so I have to look at a picture. But all right. And he made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits broad. The middle one was six cubits broad. And the third was seven cubits broad. For around the outside of the house, he made offsets on the wall in order that the supporting beam should not be inserted into the walls of the house. When the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. The entrance to the lowest story was on the south side of the house, and one went up by stairs to the middle story, and from the middle story to the third. So he built the house and finished it, and he made the ceiling of the house of beams and planks of cedar. He built the structure against the whole house, five cubits high, and it was joined to the house with, tim with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, concerning this house you are building. If you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar from the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling, he covered them on the inside with wood, and he covered the floors of the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of, of, of the rear of the house with boards of cedar. From the floor to the walls, he built this within as an inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. The house, that is, the, the nave in front of the inner sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar. No sto stone was seen. The inner sanctuary was 20, was prepared in, excuse me, uh, the, the, the inner sanctuary was prepared in the innermost part of the house 
to be set to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid an altar of cedar. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house of pure gold. And he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. And the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary was overlaid with gold. In the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. Five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was 10 cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub was measured 10 cubits. Both cherubim had same measure in the same form. The height of one cherub was 10 cubits, and so that was the other's cherub. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house, and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that the wing of one touched the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. The other wings touched each other in the middle of the house, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. All around the walls of the house he carved in great figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer rooms. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and the doorpost were five-sided. He covered the two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim on the palm trees. He also made for the entrance to the nave doorposts of olive wood in the form of a square and two doors of cypress wood. The two leaves of the one door were folding and the two leaves of the other door were folding. On them he carved cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, and he overlaid them with gold, evenly applied on the carved work. He built the inner court with three courses of cut stone and one course of cedar beams. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and in the eleventh year, in the month of Bul, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all of its parts, and according to all its specifications, he was seven years building it. Well, my goodness. Pancho, I would imagine... The majority of brand new Christians would not waste any time at all with this chapter. They would start reading it and go, okay, got it. Now let's move <laughs> on. But what does this chapter do to you? It's like, what's going on in your mind as I read that, as you looked at this, First Kings chapter 6? So I guess my first, yeah, lots of uh, interior designing and all kinds of things. My first thought was, and I don't think it was covered in one of these chapters, the plans for this did Solomon just make this up? Did David make the plans? Was it, um, you know, because very precise, obviously. So they had uh, a big idea of what they were doing. Was this, because I know David wanted to build a temple. Solomon got to build a temple. Um, did he already have the blueprint thing around, or did Solomon just get inspired to do this? Well, what we do know is that God blessed Solomon with all kinds of ability. And Solomon most likely had a team of guys that were able to most, I mean, most likely the, the text says Solomon did it. It's possible that Solomon did do it. It's also possible that Solomon has got credit for it. And even if he had something passed down from his father, David, he, so he's the one that still has to put finishing touches on it. And so, cause the Lord was very clear with David, you're not going to build my house. So it, it, it comes down to, you know, I don't know if this is the, inspiration here's how you're supposed to build it in the tabernacle god told moses this is what i want and so this is this is, seems to be a little bit different but yes yeah, and, and the, the like measurements and stuff i haven't looked back and compared it with the tabernacle but some of it seems like it might be kind of inspired by that kind of mm. uh design maybe not to mention exactly because you know they had a bigger courtyard and stuff but it was kind of similar 
layout, at least, the idea of it. Um, starting from the beginning, just things that I jotted down or whatever, uh, is there any significance to it being 480 years after it was freed from Egypt? Or is that just a good marker and just to let us know how long it had been that the people didn't have uh, a temple? That's a good question. I, is, if, if there is a, a significance to that number, but I like that he gave us the number because that, that reminds us that this is something that happened and it's it's put in context in terms of Israel's history. And so, but yeah, I, I, it's it's possible one of God's numbers is 12. And so 48 is, is 12 times four. And then one of God's numbers is 10. I mean, you can see some symbolism in there, you know, 12 times 12, you know, 12 times four times 10. Okay, there's something going on there, maybe. If 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 you're if you're the kind of person that, that really takes symbolism from numbers and runs with it, okay. But it could just be something very historical and kind of like what we appreciate with the gospel of Luke. Luke seems to have done his homework regarding the you know, situations going on, like in the Christmas story, Quirinius was governor of Syria, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we appreciate that because that puts it in historical context. This puts it in historical context, if nothing else. Is there more symbolism? Someone much smarter than me can think about that. Yeah, for sure. I, I kind of lean that way, too. I haven't gotten into the whole rabbit hole of numerology and symbols of years and all that, and maybe one day, but just curious if you had any more insight on that. Um, something I did look into a little bit myself, because it's been a while, and I was curious, was about uh, in verse 7, and I've got the NLT, not the ESV, because I wanted the numbers different, but it talks about there was no sound of hammer, axe, or iron toward the building site. And uh, so they did all like the, the noisy or heavy machinery work away from the side of the temple. And I guess from what I read, it was one of the study Bibles, that uh, that kind of comes from Exodus twenty twenty five, where they're talking about uh, God tells them not to wield tools uh, at the side of the temple to profane the altar. So I thought that was kind of cool that they still kind of followed that instruction that they had gotten back when they were building the tabernacle and didn't do any of the heavy construction work on site and had to move everything into place to, to mm. kind of honor that request. So I thought that was kind of cool. That stuck out to me. When I first read it, I was like, why didn't they just hammer and do all the stuff there? It makes more sense, but I get it now. <laughs> mm. It's almost like, c can we keep this spot as holy as possible? It's, can we... The, the grunt work, the the shavings going everywhere, the the the, the, the whatever the sp the spark as metal hits it hits, you know, the the stone. I don't know. Whatever ha can we keep this as less ordinary as possible? Can this be something where this is going to be the spot where God is 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 said to dwell? So can we make this something extraordinary as much as possible, and do the work offsite and bring it here versus you know messing up everything and and I'm just saying it's it's almost like you would not prepare your dinner in the dining room. You could, you know, but but it's like you 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 prepare it in the kitchen and you bring it to the dining room. So there's something about there's something special about the dining room table that you're not just chopping all your stuff on it. And and I, I mean that that's what it sounds yeah. like here. For a little reverence. I like that. Yeah. It's like that. Um something else that I just think about a lot, I guess every time I see this phrase. Uh, I'm a translation nerd, so I look at different ones, but when they talk about the inner sanctuary and the most holy place, I always get reminded that, like, 
in just parts of the New Testament where like uh, we're called like the temple or we are the temple now mm. of God but some translators do that like the word is like sanctuary we are like the inner sanctuary the most holy place is in us now we you know carry the Holy Spirit in us and I always kind of every time I see the most holy place for sanctuary I'm like reminded that that's us now Christ lives in us and yeah uh, that's a great thought. It's not, it's not it's not talking about the courtyard, it's not talking about it, it's talking about the most holy place where he dwells is in us. And I always every time I underline it every time I see it. And he got protected with the gold chains a little further down, the separation. And uh the only other thing I highlighted in chapter six here was well actually I had one other question too. So uh while you were reading and reading it, a lot of uh cherubim and open flowers in the design and they had the statues of the cherubim and everything is that those were on top of the Ark of the Covenant too yes correct I believe so yes yeah yes. so mm -hmm. those are just like the angels that kind of protect the, the closest to the throne or what uh, you know they're not cupid or whatever the cherubim so what uh, is that a little bit right if, if you think of if you think of Israel's God Yahweh our, you know our God Yahweh. If you if you think of him as keeping his word, you know commandment number two is not to have any graven images. And if you look at if you think about all the other temples and all the other all the other deities that the surrounding nations worship, many of them, if not all of them, had carved representations of that god or goddess in the temple. And, and, and Yahweh of Israel said, no, you're not going to do this of me. You're not going to make. So even in God's official temple, he's not going to have anything that resembles, you know, a carved image of him. Because how can you how can you put an image on the one that causes existence? It's like, how could because the moment you carve something of God and say, this is God, you've now reduced him to that. It's the great sin on the golden calf. It's OK. Even if their intentions, you could defend their intentions. We want to worship Yahweh. OK, so let's draw, let's make a calf. You've now reduced God to a calf. And so, so God here, we, we have cherubim. We, we, so I like how you said these, these, these angelic or heavenly creatures, whatever you want to call them, things that are in the throne room, the things that are close to God, God allows them to be represented. But God, you're not going to make a carved image of God himself. And so even in God's official temple that he is sanctioning, there's not going to be any kind of of, of, of any kind of a graven or, or carved image in any way. And so I, I like that God stays consistent with that. And so he, so he's allowing the things that are closest to him. Okay. You can draw cherubim. Okay. That kind of stuff, or you can carve and, and gold and, and yeah, because God's, God's, God's place is going to be on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the covenant. And so our God is, is, is a spiritual God. He's not this physical thing we can, we can carve and then bow down to. Like an idol I can take care of, and now all of a sudden that okay, God's gonna do something for me. It's like there's there's some kind yeah. of a, some kind of a distance between sin, sinful humanity and God. And I like how you brought that up earlier, but the sanctuary and 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 the idea of the holy place or most holy place is that that temple curtain that separated was torn, and Jesus has gone into that and beyond that. So now we can go to that holy place and we can be that holy place because of Jesus. What used to separate us because Jesus paid it all, now it doesn't separate us. We have separation and unique holiness here. And because of Jesus, that separation for the ones who have been reconciled by his blood on the cross, 
that separation is not there anymore. And so, so I, I like how that stood out to you because we see that in, in not only the Gospels and the book of Hebrews, but yeah, this idea of he's gone into that holy place. He is that holy place. He's torn that curtain. I mean, yeah. So we're, we're seeing some of the unique separation here that we don't see when Christ is our sacrificial substitute. Cool, cool. And then just the last thing, seven years. So this is a seven-year project to build this temple. It sure is. And he that that's uh, he, he definitely took some time. He, he definitely, it looks like he paid great attention to detail. And he definitely uh, you know, put some effort into this. This wasn't just something, you know, happenstance or, okay, I'm just going to, you know, slap something together. No, he, he seems to have taken this seriously. We can respect that. Well, let's go to chapter seven. And so, so the chapter six ends, but it took him seven years. So right off the bat, chapter seven, Solomon was building his own house 13 years. Oh, so the, the, the text puts that like verse one verse after. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. that that's just something long. Right. So it's like it's like it's almost like the, the, the narrator is reminding us, oh, yet <laughs> Solomon built his own house 13 years and he finished the entire house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits and its breadth 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams on the pillars. And it was covered with cedar from the chambers that were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. There were window frames in three rows and window and window opposite windows in three tiers. All the doorways had windows, had square frames, and window was opposite window in three tiers. My goodness. And he made the hall of pillars. Well, of course he did. Its length was 50 cubits and its breadth 30 cubits. There was a porch in front with pillars and a canopy in front of them. And he made the hall of throne where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. His own house, and, and I got to tell you, I've had hamsters and gerbils in the past, and we line the, the little things. You clean out their cage and line it with cedar. It smells really good. I <laughs> could imagine this building was awesome. Just saying. His own house, where he was to dwell in the outer court, back of the hall, was, was of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken in marriage. Okay. Well, that reminds us he's he's married to Pharaoh's daughter, and he's he's now built her a, a a similar house, if not the exact same size. Is something the text is saying? Okay, similar, similar. All right. Wow, my goodness. All these were made of costly stones, cut according to measure, sawed with saws back and front, even from the foundation to the coping, and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits, and above were costly stones cut according to measurement and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around and a course of cedar beams. So had the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house. And King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali. And his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. And he was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making and work in bronze. So here, here Solomon kind of answers our earlier question. Did he do it all? Well, he's bringing in someone that's skilled. He came to King Solomon and did all his work. Oh, okay. He cast two pillars of bronze. 18 cubits was the height of one pillar and a line of 12 cubits measured in its circumference. It was hollow and its thickness was four fingers. The second pillar was the same. He also made two capitals of, of cast bronze to set on top of the pillars. 
the height of the one capital was five cubits and the height of the other was five cubits. There, there were lattices of checker work with wreaths of chain work for the capitals on the tops of the pillars, a lattice for, for, for the one capital, a lattice for the other. Likewise, he made pomegranates in two rows around the one lattice work to cover the capital that was on top of the pillar. And he did the same with the other capital. Now the capitals that were on tops of the pillars in the vestibule were of like work for cubits. The capitals were on two pillars and also above the rounded projection, which was beside the lattice work. There were 200 pomegranates in two rows all around, and so with the other capital. He set up the pillars at the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar in the south and called its name Yashin. And he set up the pillar on the, on the north and called its name Boaz. How about that? And on tops of the pillars was, was lily work. It's the only time in history I've ever encountered the word lily work right here. Thus, <laughs> thus the work of the pillars was finished. Then he made the sea of cast metal. It was round, 10 cubits from brim to brim, 5 cubits high, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Under its brim were gourds for 10 cubits, encompassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with it when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, 3 facing north, 3 facing west, 3 south, and 3 east. The area was set on them. The sea was set on them, excuse me, and their rear parts were inward. Its thickness was a handbreadth, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. It had 2,000 baths. It also, he also made the 10 stands of bronze. Each stand was four cubits long, four cubits wide, three cubits high. This was a construction of the stands. They had panels and panels were set in frames. And on the panels that were set frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. On the frames, both above and below the lions and oxen, there were wreaths of beveled work. Moreover, each stand had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze. And as the corners at the four corners were supports for a basin, the supports were cast with wreaths at the side of each. Its opening was within a crown that projected upward one cubit. Its opening was rounded as a pedestal is made a cubit and a half deep. At its opening, there were carvings and its panels were square, not round. And the four wheels were underneath the panels. The axles of the wheels were of one piece with the stands and the height of the wheel was a cubit and a half. The wheels were made like a chariot wheel. Their axles, rims, spokes, and hubs were all cast. There were four supports at the corners of each stand. The supports were of one piece with the stands. And, and on the top of the stand, there was a round band, a half cubit high. And on the top of the stand, it stays and panels were of one piece with it. And on the surface of its, of its stays and on its panels, he carved cherubim. Lions and palm trees, according to the space of each, with wreaths all around. After this manner, he made the ten stands. All of them were cast alike of the same measure of the same form. And he made 10 basins of bronze. Each basin held 40 baths. Each basin measured four cubits. And there was a basin for each of the 10 stands. And he set the stands five on the south, five on the north. And he set, he set the sea at the southeast corner of the house. Hiram also made the pots, the shovels, the basins. So Hiram finished all the work that he did for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowls of the capitals that were on tops of the pillars, and the two lattice works that cover the two bowls of the capitals were on tops of the pillars. And the 400 pomegranates for the two lattice works. Imagine, imagine casting in bronze 400 pomegranates. My goodness. Two rows of pomegranates for each lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals around the pillars the 10 stands, the 10 basins on the stands, and the one sea and the 12 oxen underneath the sea. Now the pots, the shovels, the basins, and on these vessels of the house of the Lord, which Huron made for King Solomon, were a burnished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan, the king cast them, and the clay around between Sukkot and Zeratan. And Solomon left the vessels unweighed because there were so many of them. The weight of the bronze was not ascertained. 
So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of the presence, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side, five on the north, before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, the tongs of gold, the cups, snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, and fire pans of pure gold, and the sockets of gold for the door of the innermost part of the house, the most holy place, and the doors of the nave of the temple. Thus, all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David, his father, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. That was that was something to read. <laughs> chapter six, now chapter seven. What are your thoughts on uh, so, so so Pancho? It talked about his house. It talked about the, the attention to detail with. Um, the, the the things that are going to go into God's house. And so any thoughts here? What 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 would someone like you take from a chapter like this where you're like, man, I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not somebody that's, you know, I did Legos when I was a kid. I mean, I don't understand some of this stuff. I mean, and, and, and by the way, there are probably people out there that take this very literally. And if they were going to make a new temple one day, it would be like Solomon's temple. And they would take, I had I had a great grand grandfather, the other pastor in my family, my my mother's grandfather, and he he actually in in the Exodus narratives he read all the measurements and he crafted a tabernacle according to scale. He was a he was a, a master woodworker, and I have that tabernacle in my possession. He's like he he molded right. everything to precision, to, and and this is a, a guy who really knew how to craft wood and and to, to fashion stuff. So I could see somebody. Who would look at all these measurements and someone even listening right now going, yeah, that, that really, that really makes me feel happy. I'd love to do that. If there's going to be a future temple in Israel, I mean, for those of you who are listening, who are like, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's probably going to be reading chapter six and seven. They're, they want to figure out the dimensions. And so this is important to somebody. And it was important for the, the, the writer to give us all these details. But Pancho, what do you do with all this? Well, so the first thing I was sorry I leaned over. Um, luckily, we're blessed with many translations because I love formal translations too. But I use the NLT for chapters like this because they translate a lot of those numbers into measurements we would know. So to help our craftsmen, you know, like thirty cubits is one hundred fifty feet long because I had no idea what a cubit was. You know, so there's certain measurements that study multiple translations. It's good for you. Basically, is uh my first advice for listeners that are also new to the Bible, because yeah, you said that if you're just skimming it and reading all these numbers that you don't know what they mean or what's a cubit and what's, I don't know what else they use, uh, but you know, it's good to, it's good to get some knowledge. The thing we had mentioned a little bit before we started filming was I did think the placement of, of the part about Solomon's house is kind of interesting that they're talking about the Lord's house. Then they go talk about Solomon's house and describe that. And then they go back to talk about the Lord's house, kind of like a weird juxtaposition or just kind of thrown in there in the middle. And I just wonder about that placement. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it took places long in the middle. The other thing from that first part that really stood out to me was that it says he even laid out the walls very similar to the courtyard of the Lord's temple. And I feel like that's got to mean something because they wouldn't just throw that in there. Like, they could just say, like, throw out the same measurements again and it was the same exact, you know, uh, one layer of cedar wood between every three layers of stone. But then they also say, just like 
the temple. And I guess it's kind of interesting that he chose to use the same design for his house too. Maybe it's kind of common. Maybe it's kind of weird. I don't know. But he he that's, brought that over to his house. Poncho, that is fascinating. I, I never picked that up. And I, I'm i not going to – I don't want to be smart, Solomon. But it, what when you just said that, it reminded me of Gideon. And Gideon – if remember the Gideon story from Judges is that as his life ended, he, it's like, oh, they, they wanted to make him king. And he would say things like, well, there's no king but Yahweh. He's the only king. And then – Gideon put up a golden ephod in his backyard and Israel prostituted themselves to that golden ephod. And even though he said only God is king, he named his son Ahimelech, which means my Avimelech, which means my dad is king. And so <laughs> it's like it's almost like Solomon's like, oh, God's temple is, is God's temple, but I'm going to build my house to look like it. I mean, similar, it, yeah. it, it could be it could be he just, you know, he's God's guy and he clearly is. And maybe he's wanting to honor God. It's it's hard to, to guess too, but I like that you brought that up. There's that that's interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like why you know they put it in there for a reason that he did that. My other speaking of names, so and I haven't read this yet. Maybe in the future we can do that. But Boaz, I know that name. Mm -hmm. Jacquin or Jakin, is that another person's name in biblical history, or is that just something he chose? Hmm. Yeah, honestly, I I don't check know. Out, yeah. That's something to think about, though, because I know that Boaz is a person in Jesus' what, lineage. What, what verse is it again? That is 21, where he names the one tower is named Jacob, and the other one is named Boaz. So I just figured I know Boaz is someone's name in uh, in history. I didn't know if Jacob was too. Or... The notes say... Jacob means he establishes, and Boaz probably means in him is strength. But I think that's in the translation. Like, obviously, Boaz is someone. It's just what his name means. So I just was wondering if Jacob was a person, too. I, I just, I just, it's a proper name. I, I just looked up that name. I just looked it up real quick. It has three occurrences. And one is here. One is in the Chronicle version of this. And then in Second Chronicles 3. And then one is in Nehemiah. It's a name given in Nehemiah 11. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like a, a verb. So he establishes. Okay. Okay. So it's it is a name, but I just looked it up real quick and I have no other information beyond that. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to know Boaz plays a big role. I wondered if he did too, but cool. So he wasn't. Any, any Hebrew scholars out there, you go for it. You know, let's, let's see what you can do. Yeah. Let us know. Um, the other questions I had, and I'm sure other listeners might have too, because they didn't explain too much, is the sea and this giant basin, and he makes 10 other smaller basins. Um, I'm assuming it's for washing or cleaning, or priests tend to be ritually clean, right? Is that what it's for? There's a lot of You've got, yeah, bowls of water. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they have to do a lot of washing, and especially of when they they... they sacrifices of i believe the ones that go on that, that are for god that when god gives certain pieces you wash those pieces off so you you wash off whatever innards or you know if there's any kind of i mean i hate to say the word poop but whatever whatever's on them as you cut the animal open it's like okay the guts and stuff like you, entail, you would yeah, do yeah, that yeah. if you were eating a shrimp you'd peel the shrimp and take off the you know so like there's something about washing and the, and the ritual washing for the, the priest etc yeah and and it's interesting because in there there's it's just something that the attention to detail 
is is there and, and they could they call it they could they call it the sea um yeah you... it sounds really cool too reading like the the, the base with the oxen and facing different directions and the nlt it says it so the, the sea held eleven thousand gallons of water like that's wow. a lot of water <laughs> that's you know, I, I, re I really like going. poncho i really like how you 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 read it you, in your study it was a different translation so it brought those numbers those 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 numbers and the categories of numbers like who knows what a what a bath is or who knows what a like a cubit but but yeah and so there's it, it put it in it kind of a modern context and so i i appreciate that and even yeah, reading it I, I can't i can't picture it beyond you know simple proportions and one has 30 one has 60 okay I, I can get i can visualize that but I, I can't tell you you know what a cubit you know what, how that meant to my data i think it's from the the tip of your finger to your elbow i think that's what a cubit is but <laughs> all right if i remember correctly but but yeah it, it's beyond that so it's 30 like of those, 30 of those laid yeah. out is okay. you tell me a foot i'm like okay 12 inches like i can kind of visualize the 12 inches all right mm -hmm. it helps yeah it's Again, like, so it's 75 feet, 150 feet, 45 feet high. I'm like, okay, I can visualize that. I work with materials. I know what that means as opposed. And again, major love to ESD and I love LSB and all other formal translations, but it is nice to, to have numbers you can picture in your head, you know. Unless you have more questions, I was going to say, let's like, we can land the plane here if you want. The last thing I have highlighted is, and that's probably pretty self-explanatory, but so he brought in, at the very end, 51, he brought in all the gifts his father David had dedicated. So they had like a giant stash of things just kind of waiting for a home. Because obviously David wanted to build a temple he didn't get to, his hands were stained, his son gets to, so I'm assuming they just kind of had this hidden off somewhere, a stash yeah. of David's things that he had dedicated to God that he wanted in the temple. Right. And, and we like that because he's continuing his father's legacy and he's David was clearly God's guy. And Solomon was also chosen by God in a unique way and to receive a blessing that no one, no one else got, you know, the you know, blessing from God. And it definitely was God's chosen, chosen guy. And so it's, it's, he's of all the sons of David, God chose Solomon and not, the other ones and so to, to be the next in line and there was the the issue at the end of david's life about who's going to take over we talked about that and but yeah this is i like how he continues that legacy it seems like solomon is on good footing right now we know the end of solomon's life is going to be it, it, it's it's going to go downhill and but right now he seems to be doing what what is right you would you think so yeah, it sounds like, uh, and we've talked about this before. I think when we talked about getting the materials and at church, we talked about this a lot, like excellence. Oh, God wants our best. And you could see mm. clearly he spent a lot of time and dedicated a lot of material and right. and things to the temple. So I, I just wanted to to point out something here. I, so I, 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 I drew a little picture. This is not to scale, of course, although I did add numbers. So. This is uh, and those of you listening, uh, what 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 I did was I I just drew two boxes, one two cubes rather. I now labeled one house of Yahweh and one house of Solomon, and the house of Yahweh is uh is thirty by twenty by sixty. So if you can imagine a cube like that, and the house of Solomon is 
100 by 30 by 50. So it's, it's almost twice over twice the size and the house that he built for God, he took seven years to build the house that he built for himself. He took 13 years to build. And this is just, just taking the text at face value, what the text gave us, it gave us those numbers, the height, the width, the breadth. Okay. And the number of years and with the number of years, it put those two verses side by side. He took seven years to build the house for Yahweh. And now, but it, for his own house, he built, it took 13 years. And I'm just saying that that's just something that I wonder, Poncho, just looking at these two graphics here and just, just imagining um, one cube being twice as big as the other and the smaller one goes to God and the bigger one goes to you. Just just taking those numbers graphically in, in your mind right now, if nothing else, those of you watching can, see, can look right here and we know Solomon's going to end kind of poorly. And if, if you believe Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, you realize that he realized all the stuff that he lived for was just nonsense, vanity, chasing after the wind. I wonder, Pancho, if some of the fall starts when he builds his own house. And just looking at these two things here, some of his decline, you might say, we can't go further than that because the text does not criticize Solomon. God right here is not upset at Solomon. There's no verse saying, and God is displeased that Solomon built his house tw over twice the size. We don't have that. But I just wonder, it just stands out to me thinking about the numbers and thinking about how he spends twice as long on his own house. They did for God. And and then he builds the same size house for his his his, his pagan wife. I, I'm just saying. He was told not to marry, right? If I recall, he was told not to marry other. I'm just saying. I wonder, Pancho, if, if, if he's going to have this slide, if some of the seeds planted from that slide and that slide downward is kind of a prideful thing. And I just wonder if we're seeing some of that in chapter seven. That's as far as I can go. I can't say anything further than that. But Pancho, just looking at these two graphics, what do you think? Besides, obviously, I'm not an artist. <laughs> it's a little arrogant. I think it looks, you know, I, I think you, you, again, you can't say for sure. And I don't know. It's my first time reading through this, but it does seem, if you look at the picture, it is like huge compared to the other one. And it's like, why? <laughs> And, 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 you know, he's a king, whatever, sure, like, you have palaces and stuff, but, you know, it's something we were talking about earlier in Mexico, like, do we need so much in life that we need a giant house like that, and the Lord gets a small one? I don't know. And, you know, I, I firmly believe this is not out of line, because the text is clear, one verse later, end of chapter 6, beginning of chapter 7, but Solomon for his own house, for 13 years, so right away, Seven verses 13. You're thinking to myself, my goodness, he was the one that was supposed to build the house of the Lord and he's going to spend the extra time on his own house. You know, how often do we build our own houses and our, and how often do we are worried about our own followers and our own words and our own, our own building our own kingdoms. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just wonder about that. And I think it's a fair question, Pancho, because the text does give us that. It not only gives us the dimensions, but it does tell us one verse away for his own house, Solomon did this. And it's like, okay, the text didn't have to say that unless it really wanted to say that. And it's like, God made, made that on purpose. Like, okay, so we're left to wonder here. As we're looking at a character study here with, with Solomon, we wonder if some of the seeds of, of, his, of his eventual selfish decline are going to start here when he's building his own house. 
And I think that's a good challenge for all of us um, who are listening to this or watching this. What do we do regarding our house and regarding God? I like how you said earlier, does God get my best or my rest? And Solomon definitely doesn't give God the rest. He gives God high quality stuff. He's he's really, I mean, what we read in chapter six, that's a high quality gold inlaid cherubim. I mean, that, that, that's a serious, serious temple. But he spent twice as long in his own house. I wonder if his own house is. So what? At least, at least he didn't see gold in his house anywhere right. in the text. You know, he he still got to find stone, and he took his time. But at least he gave all the gold to God. But, and and yeah. he didn't have any. He didn't have any cherubim either. So <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, this has been great. We'll, we'll we'll join you next week. This has been the Masterclass Theology. As always, I am Big Rev. I'm Pancho. Have a good week. God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.